0: go ahead and subscribe, and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in, and be blessed. But I'm glad you're here. Let's dive into the Word, because I really have something, like I said, I believe it's from the Lord. Um, And it's not exactly brand new, but in my personal study time, I've been in the book of Galatians all week. So what I'm doing is, uh, for my lunch break, I don't get as much time as I used to, uh, I don't have as much time as I used to have. So what I'm doing is, I'm taking one chapter a day of Galatians, one chapter uh, and going all the way through for the whole week. Then I'll go through one chapter a day through Ephesians. And I just say, OK, Holy Spirit, unveil my eyes. You know how much time I have. <laughs> so give me the manna for today, because whoever gathers little, whoever gathers a lot, it doesn't matter. You always get however much you need. So I always come to and say, Holy Spirit, unveil my eyes. Show me what I need. And uh, it's going through the book of Galatians. A lot of things I already knew he's pulling out. But some stuff I had never seen before. So tonight's not going to be something completely brand new, but it is going to be something to reaffirm um, what the Lord wants to do. And I think it's going to piggyback on what we've been talking about on Sunday mornings. And the last time I shared on, a, on Sunday morning, my message, uh, we called it Releasing Favor. You can go hear it on the podcast. We'll have CDs in the back Sunday. But it was called Releasing Favor. And we opened up with a verse where literally, I think it's first, I think it's John chapter 1, if I'm not mistaken. But anyways, it literally says Jesus came to literally bring the free favors of God, the free favors of God. So when you translate the word grace, I know that the word grace in the Greek is the word charis, which means unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. Yes. But one other translation from the Amplified literally says free favors of God. And so I love that analogy. And just to refresh you, keep in mind when you say, hey, uh, I need you to do me a favor. That usually means you want me to do something for you, but you don't want me to ask for something in return, right? <laughs> so we hate when people come to us and say, hey, uh, can you do me a favor? You know, and our next question is, well, what is it? You know, I'm not going to commit to something until so I know what it is. God is saying, I'm going to give you free favors. Free. Ask me what you want, because Jesus has brought you to a place. He has positioned you for a lifetime and eternity of free favors. So if I do you a favor, I'm limited. But if God says, I'm going to do you free favors, I mean, that's unlimited. And so I'm literally, as I'm continuing to grow in this understanding, free favors, free, 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 you know what I'm saying? And then I go to the favor part later. You just start going, God is going to do me a favor today. And so today when I walked into work, God's my witness. I said, Lord, I need you to do me a favor. And I mean, that's my prayer now because they're free favors. Jesus brought us to a place where God is doing free favors. Anyways, I'm just going to keep growing in that and I keep loving it. But keep in mind, David said this. And, you know, we always have that that thought that says, well, one day God's going to say, okay, free favors. But what did David say? How do I say thank you to the Lord for all that he's done for me? How do I say thank you to God for everything that God has done for me? And I'm so glad that somebody preached this message because if they didn't preach it, I never would have known it. How do I say thank you to God for every free favor he's done for me? I take more of the cup of salvation. And salvation in the Hebrew is Yeshua. In other words, I'll take more of the cup from Jesus. I'll take more. How do I say thank you to God? I keep taking more. You don't say thank you to me by taking more from me. That's not how we, does not, that's not going to be thank you for me. You see what I'm saying? Thank you for me is going to be a little bit different. But when God says, I want you to say thank you, how do you appreciate me? You come back to me for more. And it's such a beautiful picture because what it's literally saying is this. When you come back to me for more, what you're saying is you need me more. And that's so awesome. I was uh, talking with a friend of mine and we were talking about a situation that had happened. And I said, you know, do you realize that the most humbling thing you can do? And I had just heard it on the podcast because I preached it last year and I was listening to it. So anyways, I was fresh off that sermon. But anyways, I said the most humbling thing you can do is pray in the spirit. Because if you pray in the understanding, you're asking God to do what you understand best. And you're asking God to deal with what you can see and deal with what you understand. You see what I'm saying? And we all pray according to the understanding. Paul said, I pray with the understanding as well. But I also pray in the spirit. And the most humbling thing we can do is say, I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to do. So I'm going to trust you even with my prayers. I'm going to pray in the spirit. And as I pray in the spirit, I'm going to trust that you're praying about what I'm asking you to pray about. You know, like if my mom calls me and says, Matthew, I need you to pray. She's probably going to hold me accountable. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Pray, right? Don't you? And then what we do and how we do it because she's not going to trust me to say, I'll pray about it and then hang up. No, she knows me better than that. I want you to pray I'm now. Gonna pray. Are you going to pray? You know. But if I'm trusting the Holy Spirit, that means I have to, I literally utter words. I have no clue what he's talking about. He could be praying about me. He could be praying about the man down the street because nobody's praying for him. You know what I'm saying? We don't know what the Holy Spirit's praying for. And we just throw these things to him and we say, you know, what? I'm going to give you all my cares because you care more about me than I care about myself. Peter, right? Be sober and be vigilant for the devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. You see? And so you take this moment. You say, I'm going to I'm going to do this by I'm going to do this by faith. I'm going to give you my problems by faith. And faith always makes God smile. So he says, thank you. The more you pray in the spirit, the more I'm praying for you. And not just the problems you see. I'm praying to the root of the problem. Why do you keep having the same problem? Let me pray for the problem. My prayers are better than your prayers. (laughs) God talking to God. How will you not get God results? All right. Anyways, none of that's my message. What were we talking about? Are you in Galatians? Galatians chapter two. So anyways, I'm excited. I've been studying, meditating Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, we'll pick up at verse 21. When you see the word grace, I want you to just exchange it tonight for free favors. Can we do that? Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, and we're really going to go to Galatians 3. That's going to be the heart of where we're going. But I want to start in chapter 2, 21. Chapter 2, 21 says this. Paul says, and I'm reading from the New International Version, I left my Bible at home. I had to say that because I don't like this Bible. Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Powerful verse. The New International Version really did that well. Let me read that one more time. The Apostle Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Now, Note for a moment real quick, we're not going to go through chapter 2. Chapter 2 sets you up. In fact, if you read Paul's writings, you almost have to read it chapter 1 to the end because Paul is building every single thing he's talking about as he gets to it. So we're not going to read chapter 1 and chapter 2, but notice how he ends chapter 2. I'm not going to get rid of the grace of God. Why? Because if I could become right with God by the law, then Jesus didn't need to die. Now, I love that phrase because what it means is this, and I'm just summing up chapter 2. Grace imparts righteousness. Grace imparts righteousness. How do I become right with God? Grace. If it's by grace, then it's a gift. Now we can go into defining that another time. It's Bible study. We're not going to turn everywhere in the world, but a lot of stuff we're just going to mention and we'll explain some other time. But anyways, grace imputes righteousness. We're in chapter 2, verse 21. Grace imputes righteousness. Now, again, there are only two ways to be right with God. And we say this all the time. It's either by the law or it's by grace. If it's by the law, it's based on me. Now, in a church that talks about this a lot, I don't think we really need to expound on this a whole lot. But again, one more time, Paul says, I will not set aside the grace of God because what? Why will Paul not throw out the grace of God? Because if right standing with God could be obtained by my good behavior, then Jesus died for nothing. Now think about it like this. Let's, let's expound on this. This is Bible study. All right. Think about it this way. When you are right with God, when you have the gift of righteousness, okay, when you are righteous, when you're a righteous person, what do you get? Think about it This is Bible study. So please talk to me. When you are righteous, what do you get? Ah, I got you thinking now. What do you what do you get? Think about it. In Proverbs, the righteous man, the seed of the righteous, the righteous, the righteous. Isaiah 53. We use that a lot. I'm sorry. Isaiah 54. The righteous. Um, all the uh, children of the righteous shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be their peace. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Uh, this is the inheritance of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Um, I mean, come on. Righteous. I mean, one thing, just anybody. Righteous. One blessing just by being right with God. (laughs) Actually, that's actually how I worded it in my notes. Everything you need plus the things you want. But when Jesus was on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this. All these things the world is seeking after. Right? All these things the world is seeking after. Think about it. We in the church, we should be seeking after all the spiritual things of this. But Jesus was like, wait a second. No, 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 no. Let's bring this to a place where the world, the world is seeking after these things. You see, The world isn't seeking after spiritual discernment because they really don't care about it. Some people are and they go to different religions. I am spiritually enlightened. OK, some are. But the vast majority of the world is not looking for what we actually in the church should, quote unquote, be looking for. Right. And so Jesus says, let's bring it down to that level. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything the world is seeking after. God's going to give it to you. You see what I'm saying? And so it really goes down to what is the world seeking after? Well, they're they're chasing after money. Money consumes the world, right? They're chasing after money. Jesus says, seek me and my righteousness and everything will come to you. Money will come to you. When he got the lilies of the field, look at how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet even Solomon in all his glory was not dressed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you O you of little faith? So you realize the clothing of the lilies and we've talked about this. The clothing of the lilies is the health, because if you take off the clothing of the lily, the lily dies. (laughs) The clothing is the life of the lily. You see what I'm saying? So you're talking about the health and then you talk about what about the prosperity, the wealth of it? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. I'm sorry. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. We came out of an environment and we won't say, but we came out of an environment that said, sow, reap, store. If you don't store, you won't have anything. Now, I'm not saying don't ever store. I'm not saying don't save. That's not what we're saying. But the birds of the air don't save a thing that they get. They don't even sow. They don't (laughs) reap. They eat what God puts in front of them. And they never say, let's save some for tomorrow because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. They literally live moment to moment. And your heavenly father is feeding them who are not diligent and they're not very wise. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. How much more will he feed you? How much more will he provide for you? You see what I'm saying? So you have this moment where you realize his righteousness really doesn't just bring what I need. His righteousness brings all the things I want and the things that the world wants. God, Jesus is literally saying, hey, look, everything that they want Don't chase it. Chase me and I'll make everything chase you. When you have my righteousness, all these things will take you. David said it like this. Your goodness and mercy shall follow me in the Hebrew. They'll hunt me down like a hunter. You're the prey. (laughs) Some of us are really good at avoiding God's goodness and mercy, but don't worry. They're still hunting. Now, all that said, righteousness brings everything we need. When the woman who had the issue of blood touched Jesus's garment, I think it's in Jeremiah, if I'm not mistaken. In Jeremiah, he says this. You have given me the garments of salvation. You have clothed me with the robes of, you know, righteousness. That woman reached out and touched the hem of his garment, the hem of his robe as a type in a picture. What did she do? She touched the hem of his righteousness, his tallit. For the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. The wings, the tallit, when the tallit, the prayer shawl, when they would let it hang over them and the, the ends of it would flow, they called those the wings. And when the woman reached out, she touched the hem of his garment. She touched the wings. And when the son of righteousness, Jesus himself, rises, he always rises with healing in his wings. As she touched his righteousness, healing touched her. You see what I'm saying? When we are righteous, when we, when we know that we are the righteousness of God in him, healing becomes our everything we need. Is wrapped up in one thing. God says, don't chase five things, chase one. The five will chase you. God knows that we are not, I'm sorry, our Heavenly Father knows that we're not so complicated. We're not good at multitasking. He knows us better than we know ourselves. So he says, let me make it easy for you. <laughs> the world says, step, step, step. In fact, I said this on a Sunday and it made it into the podcast. And I'm glad. But when church becomes 10 steps, five steps, seven steps, Satan has had his hand somewhere. All <laughs> right. Jesus says, let me make it simple. Let me make it so simple that when children are running around, he grabs one and says, be like one of these. Smiles at them. Then all the parents go, wait a second, will you hold mine? And then the disciples go, whoa, 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 whoa fall back. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 who are you? <laughs> Don't you ever tell the children not to come to me? In fact, then he goes on to say this. You'd be better off tying the rock, a, a boulder around your neck, throwing yourself into the lake if you ever turn one of these away from me again. He makes it so simple that children get it. God loves to make things simple. When church becomes complicated, we miss the point. Anyways, are you still? Anyways, so righteousness brings everything, and we're still in the very first verse, and I have places I want to go. So let's read this one more time. He says, I don't set aside the grace of God. Why? Why? I don't set aside God's free favors. I'm not going to get rid of the fact that God wants to give me a free favor. Why? Because if righteousness could be obtained through the law, Jesus died for nothing. Now, take this and let's exchange the word righteousness for what we need. Let's say I need healing tonight. If I could become healthy, apart from the finished work of the cross, Jesus didn't need to die. Right? If I could become wealthy, we'll use the Sermon on the Mount. If I could become wealthy... Because I work hard, I work hard, I work hard, and I grind, and I'm hustling. And I'm, I'm, you know, I do all those things, not trying to reference anything. You know, I'm doing all this stuff, and I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. I work harder than everybody else. Oh, man, I made it, right? I'm successful. That's what the world says. I'm successful. Look what I have. Jesus died for nothing. He didn't call us to be successful. He called us to have good success. Good success. And I love good success because good success comes the more you pray in the Spirit. I heard a great man of God say it this way. One man says, and he used it in building church. So I'll use that same analogy. He said, one man says, I'm gonna build my church. I'm gonna get all the statistics I can. And I'm gonna get all the formulas. And I'm gonna get all the messages and the seminars and the conferences. And I'm gonna put it all in and I'm just gonna do everything and I'm gonna just eat it all up. And I'm gonna build my church for Jesus. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna spend all this money, get all these investors. I'm gonna do all this. we're gonna build our church with a winning formula. And he said, that man is running to the 100th floor, right? but he's running up the stairs <laughs> and he might be doing it on a marathon. So one man runs this story, you know, but the point is he's running up the stairs. But if a pastor is smart, and this is what that man said. He said, if a pastor is smart, he'll realize if I pray in the spirit, the Holy Spirit will do the work for me. I'll take the elevator. The Holy Spirit is literally like the elevator. What we need in life is on the hundredth floor. Whatever you need from God is on floor number hundred. Let the Holy Spirit be the elevator. You pray in the spirit, start going right <laughs> You don't pray in the spirit. You try to figure it out on your own. You might make it to the top. I will make it to the top. You'll make it to the top. But you'll be in a different shape than I will. You'll be breathing heavy. Give me a few minutes. (laughs) I'll be at the top talking about how nice my ride was. Do you see what I'm saying? So that's the difference. Now, if righteousness could be attained by what I do, then Jesus did not need to die. But if I cannot get it apart from him, then Jesus died for a reason. And I don't want to throw what Jesus did out the window. Are you still with me? So let's skip down to chapter 3, verse 5. The reason why we're here Paul says, Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Now I'm reading from the NIV. I wish I had the New King James in front of me. Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Now we all know the answer to that. Because I'm hearing, and I love the New King James. Does the Holy Spirit work miracles among us because of what we're hearing or because of what we're doing? Because of what we're hearing. Anyways, verse six, consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. And this is where we want to pick up. Those who believe, in fact, first seven one more time, understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. In the New King James, it says this, those who are of faith are children of Abraham. I love that phrase. We'll come to that in a moment. Verse eight, the scripture foresaw that God would make righteous or justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel or good news in advance to Abraham. What did he say? All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with, in the new King James, with believing Abraham, the man of faith. Oh, I love it. Verse 10, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of law. I tell you, if, you have, if you've never used that verse before in a debate, that's how you make somebody mad. Oh, man. Tell them you observe the law, you're under a curse. Boy, people hate you for that one. I mean it. Oh, they hate you for that. Anyways, verse 11. Clearly, no one is made right with God. No one is, made, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by Now, we'll stop there. We're going to move to another verse in just a second. But let's wrap this up. Let's sum up what we just read. Again, you'll never be made right with God by what you do. You will always be made right with God by what you believe. What you believe. Not by what you do, what you believe. New Testament obedience is not what you do, it's what you believe. Old Testament obedience is what you do. Not what you believe. (laughs) In the New Testament, even when you do the wrong thing, if you believe the right thing, God blesses you because you believe the right thing. That's New Testament obedience. Now, as much as I love that truth, what does he say in verse 7? One more time. He said this. Uh, where are we at? Understanding that those who believe are children of Abraham. Now, I want you to think about this real quick. In the New King James, he brings it out better. I, lo- I think he brings it out better. He talks about the blessing of Abraham. When it comes to the blessing of Abraham, I think, what is that? That's a few verses down. Let's go down to verse 12. Let's go down to verse 12. He says the law is not based on faith, on the contrary. And this is where we, where we get the truth that the opposite of faith is not fear. We heard that for years. The opposite of faith is fear, and I say it all the time. I think people said that because both words start with F. <laughs> right? not, that's not the case. Faith is a rest. The law is working. The opposite of resting is working. So faith and the law are opposites. You cannot have faith and still be under the law. You cannot be under the law and have faith and try to operate through faith. It doesn't work. So what does he say? The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things, the man who's working, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us. Here we are. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So we see where did Jesus become the curse? At the cross, where he hung on the tree. Verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now, we're going to back up to verse 7, but before we do, look at this real quick, and I never saw this before, never saw this before, until this week. Right there, he says Christ became a curse for us, right? Christ became. Now, the word became jumped off the page. I looked it up, and I'll tell you what it means in just a second. But then he says Christ became a curse for what reason? So that the blessing might come on us. Now, I've always kind of thought something wasn't, I don't, I always thought there was a weird way of wording it. Christ became my curse. He became the curse so that I could receive something. So I went and looked up both phrases in the Greek. Christ became, might come upon us. And I found out both phrases are exactly the same. In fact, the word became is the same exact phrase where it says might come on us. So if it's Christ became the curse, then it means you became the blessing. But it's also the other way as well. The blessing came on you. Likewise, the curse came on him. Now, when I saw it that way, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said this. To the extent that you can see your curse on him, to that same extent, you will carry the blessing on you. If you can't see your curse on him, then you'll never be able to see his blessing on you. Man, when I saw it, I got so excited. Oh, I was like Sunday. (laughs) but I held on to it. And I thought, no, no, no. And again, I felt impressed from the Lord to share it on Bible study night. Again. If you can see it on him, then you'll see the blessing on you. Now, what is the curse? We can go down the line, but the curse summed up in a few words is this. Poverty, um, sickness, even to death. I mean, the curse, poverty, death. I mean, it's a lack of protection. It's everything that's bad. I mean, you can go look it up for yourself in Deuteronomy. I think it's Deuteronomy 28. He mentions all the curse. But the point is, Jesus literally became the curse. Now, my job is not to say, Jesus, save me from this curse. No, he became the curse. My job is to see him carrying my curse there. And to the extent that I can see Jesus carrying what I'm suffering with right now, whatever extent I can see that, To the same extent, I can enjoy the blessing of Abraham. It can turn just like that. But I have to be able to see him carrying it. If I can't see him carrying it, then I won't be able to see myself enjoying it. Does that make sense? Oh, man. When I saw it, I got so excited. Now, what is it that we're supposed to be receiving? The blessing of Abraham. Now, in the Greek, it's not the blessings, plural. It's actually the blessing, singular. In fact, the word curse is not curses, because there's many curses, it's not curses, it's curse, singular. Now that's interesting again. You know why? Because in the Greek, one curse brings all. In fact, if you break one, James says it like this, if you break one of the ten, you've broken all. You might be perfect to keep all ten of the commandments. You broke one, you broke all. You with me? So it doesn't matter. It's the curse that comes because you broke one. Likewise, If you fail in believing everything else, believe the one thing and you will be rewarded as if you believed all your whole life. Abraham spent the majority of his story not really believing God 100 percent. And I say it all the time, but I love the story of Abraham. You know what? He never really trusted God 100 percent until it came time to offer Isaac. And then you realize God was setting him up. What was God doing? God knew if I ask him to offer up Isaac right now, he won't do it. So what am I going to do? What is God going to do? This is what I'll do. I'll bless him in spite of him. I'll bless him in spite of him for the next 30, 40 years plus, literally for 40 years. I will bless him in spite of him, in spite of him, in spite of him. And I'll just keep blessing him in spite of him. And finally, 30 years, almost 40 years down the road, God says, he's there now. (laughs) He's there now. Now he will believe that I am better than everyone else is making me out to be. Abraham, would you give me your son? Of course, I'll give you my son. Didn't even think twice about it. That's what God, God really set him up. I'm just gonna be so good to you that it's gonna blow your mind. So, 30 years from now, when I need you to make a decision for me so that I can give my son, I need you to give me yours so I can give my son for the world. What will happen? Are you gonna make the right choice or the wrong choice? And you know what it does? It tells me so much for me, but it also tells me so much for all of us, all of us here tonight. At some point down the road, you will have to make a choice. We don't know what that decision is. Abraham didn't know what it was. At some point, you will have to make a choice. And so what is God doing right now? He's showing you how good he is. (laughs) And he's going to keep showing you how good he is in spite of you. He's going to keep showing you how good he is. He's going to keep blessing you. He's going to keep blessing your children. He's going to keep blessing everything in your world. He's going to keep giving you more free favor, more free favor. I mean, he's going to keep being a God to you in spite of you. And then however long it is or however far it is, one day when you have to make a choice, you won't even think twice about it. God has been so good. It's like the song we sang earlier. I've seen you do it before. I know you'll do it again. God is setting you up so that one day you'll go, he's done it before. He'll do it again. And you won't think twice when it matters most. Can you turn with me to Luke chapter 13? Now, again, it's curse, singular, and it's blessing, singular. Now, why is that so important? And you're going to Luke chapter 13. Uh, We're going to pick up in verse 10, I believe. Now, why is it so important that the curse is singular and the blessing is singular? You get the blessing of Abraham, all the blessings will come. You get the curse of the law, all the curses will fall on you. All right. You don't have to ask. They're all going to fall on you. You get the blessing of Abraham, all the blessings will come. Now, when we look at Abraham for years... We were all taught, it's all spiritual blessing, it's all spiritual blessing. And then someone said, wait a second, the Bible says in Genesis that Abraham received livestock, silver, and gold, and he received it right after he lied to Pharaoh, and God intervened for him and said, Pharaoh, who do you think you are to touch one of my own? Paraphrasing. And so we realized, wait a second, the grace of God intervened, and God's grace turned his sin into an opportunity for him to become rich (laughs) very very rich so we go wait a second the blessing of abraham was actually the blessings of abraham only to realize wait a second wait a second if you read the entire book of galatians you'll find it's not the blessings it's the blessing singular now why is that because when you read galatians what you find is this god gave him the blessing and said now it's to you and to your seed And we are the seed of Abraham because Abraham believed by faith. The Bible says all who believe by faith, what we just read, all those who say I am right with God by faith, not by what we do, but by faith, you are blessed with believing Abraham. In the Greek, an imperfect believing, meaning Abraham believed God. Abraham is still in God's presence, still believing the same exact thing. Was he believing in God's presence in heaven? God is still good and every nation is still blessed through me. Isn't that crazy? So all that said to say this, what was I saying? All that said to say this, what is the blessing that God gave Abraham that brought everything else? That you are right with me by faith. He dared to believe God. Now I went back and looked it up, it's in Genesis chapter 15, I think it's verse 6. Genesis chapter 15 he literally says, Abraham, I'm gonna make you an exceedingly great nation. And Abraham says, come on God, I don't have any children the next one to inherit everything I have is Eleazar, my servant. And he's from Damascus. Unbelief. What a mighty man of faith, right? Unbelief. Then God says, no, 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 no. Let me show you. So he says, Abraham, let's come outside the tent. Look up at the stars. And the Bible says, he says, can you tell how many stars there are? And Abraham looks up and he says, hmm, I believe. Now, we've talked about that before. The word tell, not count. It's actually the word tell the story. In the Hebrew, tell the story of the stars. Satan perverted, it, but God put a story there first. Satan took it and said, find out what your future is. And we all ran only to realize, wait a second. No, 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 no. God put the stars there. God put a story there. What was the story God put? Hercules, half man, half God. Who is that? Jesus would come for all of us. Virgo, the virgin. Who is the virgin that gave birth to the Hercules, the half man, half God? It's Mary. I mean, and then you see the lion, Leo, the lion, they call him, right? Who is the lion of the tribe of Judah? Do you see what I'm saying? In the book of Revelation. So you realize, wait a second, wait a second. God put the story there and they call Pisces. I think it's Pisces is the fish. Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. Fish speak of what? People. The lion would come from the virgin. I'm sorry, Hercules would come from the virgin. He would become the lion of the tribe of Judah and draw many fish to himself. I mean, and that's just a a couple of the pictures. You see what I'm saying? So he says, Abraham, look up, tell the story. Abraham looks up and sees the story and goes, my God. I believe it. <laughs> the next thing God says is, all right, then you are righteous. You are righteous. I will credit the fact you believed what you saw as righteousness by faith. And now everyone who comes after you and says, I believe in spite of what I do, because the righteous believe by faith, not by what they see, everyone like you will be righteous like you. They'll be blessed with the same blessing. What is it? That you're righteous. That's why we opened up by saying, when you are righteous, what, the, what, what comes? Healing, wholeness, everything you need, and everything you want. Get the one, everything else comes. Now let me show you two examples and we'll close. Is that all right? Oh, we've already been here too long. <clears throat> Luke chapter 13, are you there? Luke chapter 13, verse 10. <clears throat> it says, On the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. Now, and just pause for a moment. If you want to know what Jesus was teaching, go look at all Jesus' teachings. Go look at all his teachings. When Jesus teaches, does he teach the law or does he teach grace? See, the Pharisees say this man is crippled. The law says if you're lame, you have no place in the assembly of God. If you're a cripple, you cannot come into the assembly of God. You can't. If you're uh, a tax collector, you have no place in the assembly of God because you're a thief. All these people are told, stop at the door by the Pharisees. Jesus starts teaching them, what does he say? A man, a Pharisee, stood in the house of God and said, "Oh God!" And he, a Pharisee stood in the house of God, ready to pray, and a sinner came right beside him, a tax collector, or a, I don't know if it's tax, but a sinner. And the sinner stood up and said, "Oh God, I've sinned. I've cheated. I've stole. I've done all these things. Please forgive me." But the Pharisee right beside him said, "What? Oh God, I'm so glad I'm not like this horrible sinner. I'm glad I'm nothing like this sinner. I'm so good. Thank you, God, that I'm so good." And Jesus says, "Which one do you think God heard? <laughs> right?" And the answer is obviously, we know the sinner. And so what you see is when Jesus teaches, what does he teach? He teaches grace. He teaches the least. God loves the least. God goes and finds the lost. God searches the house to find the lost coin. God waits and looks over the hill for the son that says, I'll come home. And before you come to the house, he runs over the hill to find you before you can get home. I mean, he doesn't even wait for you to come to the house. He goes out and he finds you. I mean, the good shepherd, he goes to the lost. He goes to the least. He loves the lame, the least, and the lost. We'll say that, right? That's the message that Jesus comes teaching. So anyways, Jesus is teaching in verse 10. On verse 11, it says, And a woman was there who was crippled by a spirit of infirmity in the New King James, by a spirit for how long? 18 years. 18 18 divided by 3 is what? Ah, mathematicians. 18 divided by 3 is what? 12. Uh huh 18 divided by 3. 6. 6, 6, 6 makes what? 18. 6 plus 6 is 12. 12 plus 6 is 18. Three sixes. Interesting number there. Now, why is that important? Every detail here is important. All right? So, this woman has been crippled with a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. A medical doctor might come here and say, well, she hadn't, I don't, I'm going to make up some osteochlorosclerosis. You know, they'll <laughs> come up with some medical term of it. But this woman had a spirit of infirmity. Now, not every sickness is a spirit, but this one the Bible says clearly was a spirit of infirmity. 18 years she had it. 18 years. Keep that in mind. Where are we at? Verse 12. It says, when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Before I show you the rest of the story, I looked up when Jesus saw her. That phrase jumped off. Jesus saw her. What did he see? What what, what is it that Jesus saw? There's several words for see in the Greek, but this word, just for the sake of time, this word is he stared at her. He discerned. He stared at her for a long time in the Greek. He stared at this woman. Now I want you to get the picture. Jesus is up preaching. He's in the temple. He's preaching. He's giving the verses. And all of a sudden he sees a woman and he stares at her for a moment. And he stares. And he stares. Now she's crippled, meaning she could not have been in the front. Because if you're crippled, you can't be in the house of God. Jesus saw this woman probably somewhere in the back. And in fact, some scholars say this temple where Jesus was was a two-story. She very well may have been in the second story. We don't know. But the point is she wasn't in the front. Jesus saw this woman and stared at her. Stared at her long enough to say, no. No. (laughs) Come here. And the Bible says the woman came forward. Then what does he say? Woman, you are set free from your infirmity in the New International Version. In the Greek, you are released. You are released. You're free. Then what does he do? He puts his hands on her. Now, I love this. In John chapter 8. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. It doesn't matter. In John chapter 8, Jesus said this. You think you are the children of Abraham to the Pharisees and to the Jews who are ready to kill him. He said, you're ready to kill me. You say that you are the children of Abraham. But if you are the children of Abraham, you would do the works that Abraham did. But instead, you're trying to kill me. John chapter 8, verse 39. Instead, you're trying to kill me. Now think about it. What is the work that Abraham did? What is the work that he did? He read the story. He said, I believe. God said, that's work. Jesus calls that work. Now our work is to believe that we are right with God even when we don't act like it. My my job is to believe that I am right with God even when I don't act like it. My job is to believe I'm right with God when I sin, when I fail. My job is to get up and say, but I'm still right with God. That's my job now. If you are the children of Abraham, you would do what Abraham did. You would work like Abraham worked. What is Abraham's job? Believe that you are right with God even when you don't act like it. But instead, you're not doing what Abraham did. You want to kill me. <laughs> you want to get rid of grace. Because all I did was go find the lame, the lost, and the least. You want to get rid of me. Now, this woman was here for 18 years. Watch this. What did she do? She literally was there. That's it. Now, coming off tonight, and I'm going to close in just a moment. I'm going to show you one more story, and we'll finish this, and we'll be done. All right? When I was getting ready for tonight, the Lord said this just whatever your problem is, whatever the problem is, not you, this was for me too, all right? Whatever the problem is, know that I'm staring at you. I see it, and I've had enough of it. 18 years, 18, 666, what does that mean? It was clearly a demonic influence. Something going on that should not have been going on. 666, what's the number of man? Six. What's the mark of the beast? 666. You know what the mark of the beast is? For years we thought it was Satan's number. 6 is the number of man. 666 six, six, man in his perfection. It goes on the forehead. The best that I can come up with with my intellect. I'm trusting what I can think up to save myself. Or it goes on the hand. What does that mean? My own strength. I'm trusting what I can do with my own hands. It's, it's not Satan, it's me. <laughs> me. I am the mark of the beast. this and this is the mark of the beast. My own intellect and my own hand. This woman literally did nothing. And the Lord said, I'm telling the Lord said this. I see you, and I've had enough of it. You won't have to trust what you can come up with anymore. It comes to an end. And I say this by the grace of God, just for everyone that's in here tonight, whatever you might be going through, we don't have to bring it up, but whatever you're going through tonight, the Lord says, I see it, and I've had enough. Don't trust yourself anymore. I'm taking care of it. So anyways, are you still with me? Let's keep going. Verse 13, then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. What did she do? She was just there. Jesus said, come here. She responded to the voice. She responded to Jesus. She responded to Jesus. Tonight you are here responding to Jesus. I'm so glad you came because the Lord called you and you're responding. Except Cedric. He's here for a different reason, so it doesn't work for him. (laughs) She straightened up and praised God immediately. Verse 14, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Isn't that crazy? Anyways, the synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for work. Six days to work. (laughs) Monday. Saturday. Actually, for them, it was Sunday. Sunday to Friday. Work on one of those days. He says, work on those days. Jesus says, no. Now think about it like this. And I saw this phrase. This was in my notes, which my notes aren't here. This was in my notes. He wants her. He wants Jesus to work hard to get less. Work six days, then get the healing. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Do less and let me give more. Are you with me? How do we know that? Look what Jesus says in response to this. The Lord answered him, you hypocrite. I love this. Jesus called him a hypocrite. You hypocrite. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox and donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Now, look at how much work it takes to do that. Think about how much work does it take? He says, then should not this woman, a daughter of who? Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound, 18 long years. Be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. Now, let me, let me finish the story with this one. I'm sorry I'm taking so long. Let me finish the story with this one. Jesus is saying, you do more effort to untie your donkey, and you get less of a reward. But you're mad at me for giving this woman who did less. All she did was walk up here and giving her more than she deserved. I'm telling you, phew, If righteousness could be attained by what we did, Jesus didn't need to die. But praise God, we couldn't get it, so Jesus is giving it for free. (laughs) He's giving it for free. Whatever you need, he's giving it for free. And what was the stipulation? Whatever he did, and I love this, and we'll close this story. You can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 19. The ending of this story is this. Jesus stared at her long enough to realize she's a daughter of Abraham. We are sons and daughters of Abraham. That means... Whatever you're struggling with comes to an end. Luke chapter 19, and I'll close with this. Famous story of Zacchaeus. Chapter 19, verse 1, and you can uh, catch up wherever we are. Verse 1 says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Aren't you glad this man was wealthy? Riches does not equal sin. Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was. Now there's that phrase again. Remember I told you earlier, Jesus saw the woman. It's in the Greek. It's the uh, number 3708. I think it's, I'm not going to mess it up. Whatever that word is in the Greek, all right, it's the same word right here. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. Same word Jesus did in Luke 13 where he stared at the woman. Zacchaeus wanted to stare at Jesus. He says in his heart, I want to stare at Jesus to see who he was. Verse 4, so he ran ahead and climbed the um, sycamore fig tree to see him. Same word again, to stare at Jesus. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Not I want to stay at your house today. Hey, can I stay at your house today? I have an obligation. Even in the Greek, the, 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 the word must is the obligation. I have no choice but to go to your house today. I can stay at anybody's house. Jesus was famous. I can stay at anybody's house today. And you'll see it in the book, because this story is also mentioned. I could stay at anybody's house today, but I have no choice. I have an illegal and utter spiritual obligation. I have to stay at your house today. Zacchaeus was a thief. He was a good thief. He was robbing people in front of them. Some thieves have to rob you when you ain't looking. This man was robbing you right in front of you. You couldn't touch him. My God, he was good. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was robbing them in front of him. While you're watching me, I'm stealing your money. You know what I'm saying? He was, he, he was a good thief. And everybody hates Zacchaeus because he's a thief. Jesus says, I don't want to stay at the house of the good people. I want to stay at the house of the least. You are the least. Now, what happens? We all know the ending of the story. Let's read down and we'll close with this. Zacchaeus come down. So he came down at once, verse 6. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Excuse me. Verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord. Here and now I give half of my possessions to feed the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of who? There we go. There we go. Because he's a son of Abraham, I have no choice but to come to his house. Because he's a son of Abraham, I have no choice but to sit down in the house of a sinner. Because you are a son and daughter of Abraham... I have no choice but to be involved in your life. I have no choice. And we don't see Jesus telling Zacchaeus, all right, now you know what the law says. You've been stealing. You have got to figure this one out. What do we see? I-, I have no choice but to come to your house. Zacchaeus jumps up and says, that's it. I'm giving back four times as much as I stole from everybody. And Jesus says, salvation has come. You know why? Because you are already Not because what you said makes you a son or a daughter, but you were a son of Abraham. And that's why I'm here. It's such a beautiful story, man. God, such a beautiful. But what you see is this: we are the sons and daughters of Abraham, and the blessing of Abraham is on you. The blessing of Abraham is on you. What's the requirement for you to stop looking at yourself and just keep looking at Him? In fact, I was going to show you this, and I'll, I'll close with this. In the first story, Luke chapter 13, you know what the woman? You know what Jesus did? He stared at the woman. You know what happened in Luke chapter 19? Zacchaeus stared at him. My last notes when I was just getting ready for this, and again I left him at home, but my last notes for this. What's the commonality between being a son or a daughter of Abraham? Somebody has to stare at each other. But it starts off not with the woman staring at him. God is so careful to, oh he's so careful over grace to guard, to not even say that the woman was looking at him while he taught. He wouldn't even say that. He said, Jesus saw the woman. I'm not going to give her the opportunity because I don't want to give anyone else the opportunity to think, well, I looked at Jesus. That's why I'm blessed. No, 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 no. Jesus looked at you first. That's why the first time that phrase, daughter of Abraham, is used is when it says Jesus was staring at her. And then the second time we see Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is now staring at him. Jesus was looking at you first. You want to know how to enjoy the blessing of Abraham? Stop looking at what you don't have and look at what you do. Stop looking at everything else and realize Jesus is staring at you. And because we are sons and daughters of Abraham, the blessing of Abraham is coming on us. Amen. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centerscharlotte at gmail.com. Or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in, and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.